0: and I'm glad you guys are here. Now, lately, I've been obsessed with Google reviews of churches, okay? You might not even know this is a real thing. Like on Google, of course, you can go and rate and review restaurants and stores and all those things, but you can actually rate and review houses of worship. One to five stars, this church is amazing, or this church is trash, okay? Now, currently, Connect Church has 50 reviews on Google, and all of them are five stars. Thank you very much. And I would love for that number to be even higher. So if you've got a Google account, you want to go on and give us five stars, hey, thanks for that. It actually helps us in like search engine optimization and all that. So when people are searching for churches in Calgary, churches that have higher review scores tend to show up higher in the search results. So if you want to jump on and give us a five-star review, I appreciate it. If you're going to give us less than a five-star review, I just want you to know I am praying a curse on your phone's battery health right now. (laughs) May that thing degrade so fast. And when you go to the Apple store to complain, may they say, sorry, you're two days out of warranty. If you're going to give us a three-star review, no, don't do it, okay? Anyway, most of the positive reviews for churches on Google cover the sort of stuff that you would expect to see, right? So it's like, oh, awesome preaching and uh, excellent worship services, fun kids ministries, friendly people, tasty coffee. Coffee is a big thing when it comes to church reviews. Again, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Don't know if you know this or not, but like churches always try to serve decent coffee, but sometimes it gets a little bit out of hand. This week, I read a Google review that a guy had left for another church, not for Connect, and he gave them two stars. And the reason he gave them two stars was because he said they served bland coffee. (laughs) Now, look, I... I take a good cup of Java seriously, okay? I'm with Kyle. We, we, we have staff meetings in which we discuss the quality of the coffee that we are serving here on Sundays. But look, if you're gonna leave a two-star review for a church just because you didn't like their coffee, I think your priorities might be a little bit out of order. Now, that got me thinking, okay? So these are the things that it usually takes to get a five-star review from people on Google when it comes to churches. But what would it take for a church like ours to get a five-star our review from God himself. You know what I'm saying? Like if God were going to rate and review our church, what would he be looking for? What are the things that he would be measuring when it comes to our congregation? How are those things the same as what we might value if we were rating a church and how might they be different? What would it take to get a five-star review from God? And hear me now, it is totally possible to get a five-star review from the world and a one-star review from God. You with me? And on the flip side of that, it is totally possible to get a five-star review from the world and a one-star from God. Did I say that already? Did I get those reviews? You know what I'm saying? You could get five from one and one from the other. You understand where I'm going with this. And so what would it take to get five from God? Because God is the audience that ultimately really matters. What would it take? What are the things that he would be concerned with? And what are those things that maybe we ought to be concerned with as well? Well, listen, there have been countless five-star churches throughout history. There are five-star churches all over this city currently. Churches that God looks at and he says, oh, I love them so much. They're getting it right. I'm so proud of them. Thank you for being good witnesses of me to the rest of the community. And listen, I want you to hear me very clearly. They may or may not be the churches that you're thinking of. You know what I mean? Like some of the five-star churches from God's perspective, little bitty churches you've never even heard of, but they've been faithfully ministering and witnessing in some little corner, some little neighborhood of the city. And then there are massive mega churches and they've got three-star reviews because over the years people have gotten disenchanted and disaffected and they've left and left negative reviews. But from God's perspective, he's saying, no, they're five stars. They're five stars in my book. So what would it take to get a five-star review from God. There's actually a church in Acts chapter number two, which is the uh, text that we're gonna be reading from today. And uh, they might be the greatest church of all time, frankly. It's the very early Christian church. Uh, They are a six-star church. If you could get six stars, they would deserve six stars for sure. What's really fascinating, we'll see this in the passage that we read this morning, is that this church was so strong. It was so solid that they not only got five stars from God, they also got five stars from the world. It's like totally possible to have the favor of God on your church, to have the favor of God on your life, and to have the favor of people as well at the same time. The early church managed to pull this off, and I don't see any reason why Connect Church can't pull it off in 2023 as well. So let's look at this passage, Acts chapter number two. What does it take to have a really great community? I want to answer that question as we read the text. Acts chapter number two, we're going to read verses 42 to 47, and I just like let these words kind of sink in. Now, some of you have been in church for a long time, so you're really familiar with what's being said. Can I challenge you? Let the the truths of this passage hit you fresh. Like, really think about what it's saying. And if you've never heard it before, I want you to be blown away by the kind of community that the early church was. This is what God desires. Verse 42 says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's supper, and to prayer. I'm just going to give you a quick shout out. Two weeks from now, Lord's supper Sunday. Plan on being here April the uh, no, sorry, March the 12th as we celebrate the Lord's supper together. The early church did it, did it regularly. Verse 43 says, "A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders." Now, look, I, I really kind of. I got stuck on this verse when I was preparing this message. Because like, on the one hand, the apostles should be able to perform whatever miracles God wants them to. It should have nothing to do with the congregation, with the sense of unity, with the sense of awe that had fallen over the people. And yet very clearly, Luke, the the author of the Gospel of Acts, he ties together the, the atmosphere of the church and the availability of the miracles somehow there is there's something about those two things that go together. Look, if you want me to preach better, then there should be some awe in the congregation. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a collaborative effort. This is not just me on stage delivering a monologue. This is participatory, okay? All right. He goes on to say, in verse 44, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and shared the money with those in need. The socialists? What's going on here? They, like, like the people in the seats went out, they had garage sales, and they took the proceeds and they donated it to people that were in need. Or they're like, yeah, I've got this extra car laying around, somebody might need it. Probably not in the first century, but you get what I'm saying. The scripture tells us in verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people around them. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." Man, this is like a powerful passage, okay? If you really kind of think through the words of what the the scripture is telling us the early church was like, it sounds very unique, very interesting, interesting, probably a bit, um, I don't know, like strange, right? And if it sounds strange to you in 2023, please know it was equally as strange to the people in AD 33. You with me? This is not a normal description of earthly community. This is not how like you know, neighborhoods operate. This isn't how businesses tend to operate. This is not how every religious community operates. This was something special. This was something unique. This was something that was even supernatural happening in uh, and among the early people. These folks, first century Christians, in some way, they had an encounter with Jesus or they had an encounter with Jesus' community that was so compelling, it changed the way they lived their lives. Are you with me? It's not like these people were like, you know, sharing their meals and giving things away and going to church all the time and stuff before they became believers. No, this represented a totally new way that they started to live their life. Everything about their calendar, their routine, their priorities, their community and friendships, all of it began to change because they had this incredible encounter with God through the person of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you noticed it. I meant to point it out. Excuse me, I'm still getting over my cough from this week. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it. I meant to point it out as I was reading it, but there's an interesting word that occurs in this passage. It occurred at least twice in the short section of verses that we read. The word is fellowship. Did you catch that in there? Fellowship. That might be a word that you've heard throughout your time in church, or it might be a totally foreign word to you. We don't talk about fellowship very much unless you're like a Middle Earth nerd or something like that. That's about the only place in modern times that fellowship even rears its head but fellowship was an incredibly important word and an ideal concept to the early Christians and it should be to those of us that are uh, here in the 21st century. So I want to talk to you a little bit about fellowship this morning. Then we're going to move on and we're going to ask our big question for the day before we wrap up. So let me let me define for you what fellowship is and what fellowship is not. First, fellowship is not the same thing as friendship. Right. Fellowship is not the same thing as friendship. Now, you might think that those two words are basically the same thing or they mean something like really similar to each other. But there's a clear distinction in the scripture between what fellowship is and then what friendship is. See, friendship, everybody understands, we've all had experiences with this. Friendship is based on shared affinities and experiences. So it's somebody that you really enjoy being around, somebody that you vibe with, somebody that you get along with because you both love anime, or because you both played ringette in high school, or because you were together for three years as university roommates, right? Friendship is based around shared likes, interests, affinities, and then also shared experiences. We we went through stuff together. We have inside jokes together. That's friendship. And please hear me, friendship is a really great thing. Friendship is a gift from God. We've talked in this series about how God wants you to have amazing friendships. But can I tell you something? God actually wants you to have more than just amazing friendships. Friendships are not actually God's goal. God doesn't want you to only have friendships. He wants you to have fellowship. Fellowship is a uniquely Christian thing. The world can have friendships, Apart from Jesus, you can have amazing friendships. You might have stronger friendships than me. You might have friendships that like bring your life so much joy and meaning, but fellowship can only happen through the work of the Spirit. Fellowship can only happen within the context of created community. So what exactly is fellowship? Well, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia. Turn to your neighbor and say I'm not pronouncing that, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm not going to do it. Koinonia, that's the Greek word. And here's what it means. It means to share something together, to hold in common with one another. Now, on the surface, that might sound kind of like friendship, right? Because if we hold in common our shared affinities and interests, we like the same things. We're Marvel versus DCU, whatever it might be, right? Like we have the same affinities and interests. We hold that in common. But fellowship is different because the thing that we hold in common is not just our experiences. It's not just our our likes and dislikes. Instead, it's a shared faith. So watch this now. Fellowship is friendship plus faith. It's those two things together. So fellowship is friendship plus. It's friendship beyond. It's friendship on another level. It's friendship at a deeper level. It's friendship that lasts when normal friendship fails. It's friendship coupled together with a shared faith. That really does matter. It makes all the difference in the world. When, you are, when you're in fellowship with someone, right? Then you've got all the normal stuff that comes along with friendship. We talk about the weather. We talk about the sports teams. We talk about, you know, literature and art and fine dining and all of those different things. Uh, but also, you get to talk about faith. You have in common with this person a shared confession that Jesus is Lord, that unites you together in some way that isn't present when you meet a stranger who's not a part of the faith. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you're out in the world, maybe it's at work, maybe you're traveling and you come across somebody, you start chatting with them and in the course of conversation, you discover that they are also Christians. And immediately there's like a, there's a, there's a bond here. You get me in a way that the other strangers on this plane don't get me because we share in common together our faith. This is why uh, we encourage you to find relationships that include other Christians, because you want to have friendships. You want to have relationships in which you share your faith with somebody. This is why your friendships with other believers really do have the potential to be the best, strongest, deepest relationships that you could ever have, because when you add that faith component, you add a foundational element that often is missing from the more superficial types of friendships and relationships that that we have. Friendship, or fellowship, rather, is friendship plus faith. Now, why is this so important? Well, there are a few different reasons, but I think part of it is this. Uh, both friendships and faith will ebb and flow through different seasons of your life. You need to know this. If you want to follow Jesus, there are going to be seasons in your life when your faith feels like it's dying, Times in which it feels shallow and you're like, do I even believe this? And why, why do I believe this? Am I just going through the motions? It doesn't really seem like anybody's listening when I pray. I'm not even sure that I want to read the Bible. That's normal, you guys. You need to know that that's normal. I have those exact same seasons too. If the pastor has it, you're probably going to have it. Faith will ebb and flow over time. On the flip side of that, friendships will also ebb and flow over time. There will be seasons in your life in which you have the richest, most incredible friendships you could ever imagine. It's just like you feel like you belong in some way. And then there are going to be other seasons, life transitions, and your life is going to feel like you're all alone. And I don't have the friendships that I used to have. And why not? And what am I missing? And so fellowship is incredibly important because it keeps you connected to God when one of those strands inevitably weakens for a season. So if you go through a season in which your faith is weak, your friendships in the church can actually keep you anchored and connected to God. There are times in which the only thing that's gonna keep you from walking away from the faith is God's mercy and some good friends. And on the flip side of that, there are going to be times in which your faith is really strong, but you don't have the friendships that you want. And there's going, to be a, a, there's going to be a push inside of you to say, well, I'm in the wrong community. I need to leave this one and go find another one. No, God wants you to stay anchored, stay committed. Don't walk away from the faith because your friends grew up and moved away or they deconstructed and they gave up. Don't lose your faith simply because your friendships are struggling at the moment. Fellowship brings both. And you need both because you're not always going to have both. Fellowship is not the same as friendship. Friendship is good, but fellowship is friendship plus faith. So God's desire is this, that you would experience this kind of like transformative, authentic, five-star community in which you're like, I love the people that I'm with and I love my God. I love loving my God with the people that I'm with. I enjoy both aspects of it. Christ and his congregation. I love the people of God and I love the God of the people. This is what the Father desires for you. It's what he desires for me. This is what he wants to be true of Connect Church. He doesn't merely want us to be a welcoming church or a friendly church or a real church. Like that's the bare minimum, you guys. God wants us to be a fellowship church a committed church, a church in which we really are invested in one another's lives. (coughs) Oh, excuse me. All right. I'm preaching too hard now. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you three principles about fellowship that come directly from the text, Acts chapter number two. Some things that really should be true of our church, the way that you think about community. So like if you, if you're sitting here today and you say, this church is all right. It's not bad. It's like a three-star church. All right. Here are some things that will help turn it into a five-star church in your mind. We've got a role to play. You've got a role to play. If you're like, this is a five-star church. Like, I love this thing. I've already left a Google review. Dan, I created a fake Google account so I could leave two five-star reviews. (laughs) Bless you, my brother. Um, But these are going to be the things that we need to stay a five-star church in your mind. You with me? Stuff is super important. Okay. All right. First thing, we're going to talk about it in terms of fellowship rather than friendship, because you want friendship. God wants you to have fellowship, which is friendship plus. Fellowship is daily, not weekly. Right. Oh, f- fellowship is daily, not weekly. Did you notice how in Acts chapter number two, that God highlights like so clearly, so intentionally, the work, the community, the ministry, the fellowship? It wasn't every Sunday; it was every day. It was like, does the day end and why? Then the church is doing stuff together. If you read that passage again, we won't, but you can do it later. Verse 46, we're told daily they worshiped at the temple. Like what if we had church services every single day here? You're like, mm, cool, I guess. Good for you. Have fun. I got a life. Verse 47 says, daily they ate meals together and hung out in each other's homes. Hey, when was the last time you had a meal with somebody at the church? When was the last time somebody in this room or in the later room came to your house or you went to their house? Like this is a basic hallmark of Christian community here. Yeah. Verse 48 says, daily, they welcome new people into the community. One of my great joys as a pastor is that every week we have people that make decisions. Like it is a rare thing for us to have no Sundays in which somebody reports a faith decision. But as exciting as that is, Compared to the early church, like, that's rare. Because it was daily that people were choosing Jesus. Daily they were being transformed. Daily they were falling into a healthy community. So fellowship, from a biblical perspective, five-star spiritual community, it is daily, not just weekly. Now contrast that, the early church's view and experience of fellowship with ours in the modern world. See, most of us think that church is a -a once-a-week event that I attend, rather than an everyday community I belong to. Like, let's just be real. Most of us think about church as the 9.30 to the 10.30 a.m. service or the 11 a.m. to the noon service. It happens once a week. Now, I wanna be really clear here, okay? I'm not talking about engaging in your faith. I'm not saying that the early Christians, they like engaged their faith every single day. They prayed every day. They read the Bible every day. They trusted God every day. Of course they did. What Acts chapter number two is telling us is that the church was together in community every day. This is like on another level, you guys. This is something really, really special. So let me ask you, how good are you at daily community in the church? I'm not asking, how good are you at, at attending church services on Sunday? How good are you at daily community, right? Think, I just, like, again, let's, let's be honest. If you were to eat once a week, you would be malnourished, right? If you were to bathe once a week, you would stink. <laughs> if you were to sleep just once a week, you'd be a zombie. If you were to practice piano just once a week, you'd never get beyond chopsticks, okay? Yeah. It's just not enough. One hour on Sundays is not enough for you to thrive spiritually. In fact, I'm just going to be straight with you for a moment. If the only time that you invest in your soul is one hour on Sundays, you're already dead. You're just waiting to discover it. It's just the reality. I'm not picking on you. I'm not trying to be mean. What I'm saying is I know that from your perspective, faith feels like it doesn't work. You feel like, I don't know, these people all seem certain God is real, but I don't. Something must be missing. It is. It's daily engagement with Christ and his community. Yeah. That's really all it is. It's like super simple. It's like you hire a personal trainer. You, spend, you, you give them like $100 an hour and they're like, yep, you need to eat better, better and lift more weights. And you're like, yeah, I could have done that on my own. But you didn't. <laughs> Same thing here. It's like the answers are not difficult, but they can be hard to put into practice, at least in the beginning. And so I'm just telling you the difference between a vibrant faith and a dying faith often comes down to daily participation, not just in spiritual practices, but also spiritual community. Honestly, it's even worse than what I've said so far because (laughs) This is crazy. Okay, so as a pastor, there's a lot of research that gets done on church, church attendance, faith trends, you know, all those different things. And obviously, I pay very close attention to those. I think they're very important. They help inform what we do and why we do it here at the church. And so it used to be, like when I started going to church, okay, that um, you were considered an active church member. You were an active attender of religious service from a sociological perspective if you were there three times a month three times a month. Now, on the one hand, it's like, oh, so one Sunday a month, you just decide no? I mean, it's like, wow, 75% of the time, I guess, is good. But like, compare it to the church in Acts. These dudes were together every single day. Like, three times a month sounds crazy compared to 30 plus times a month. Today... (laughs) Sociologists, religious uh, people who study religions, they actually had to recently go back and redefine the term, what constitutes somebody who regularly attends church services because the number had slid so precipitously that it's like, well, nobody even goes to church three times a month anymore. So now check this out. This is crazy. Sociologists say you are a regular church attender. If you go three out of eight Sundays, or like 1.5 times per month, essentially. That is so crazy. Like, look, you've just got to acknowledge that if that's the level of investment in your faith, then it's no surprise that faith doesn't feel very meaningful. It's got to be daily. Community's got to be daily. Encouragement's got to be daily. Prayer's got to be daily. Bible study's got to be daily. Generosity's got to be daily. Sacrifice has to be daily daily. This is what God has called us to, and I think we're really, really missing the boat here. Honestly, like when I just compare it to my, like, okay, I got saved in the 90s, like mid-90s, so I haven't even been a Christian for like as long as many of you guys have, but honestly, even when I got saved, it was wild. I gave my heart to Jesus, and my youth pastor said, okay, now if you want to grow, here's what you need to do. Sunday school, 9 a.m. Sunday morning worship, 10 a.m. Then come back at church, 5 p.m., we're going to do Bible study. Then Wednesday night at 6.30, we have prayer time. And then Saturday mornings, we do visitation. I did five times a week. And I felt really good about myself. It did help me to grow. But again, in comparison to the early church, even that seems kind of sad and pathetic. Our fellowship has to be daily. It can't be weekly. You want to love the people that you attend church with on Sunday? Spend some time with them outside of Sunday. Like develop some real relationships that go beyond merely sitting in a dark room together. So here's what I wanna do. Oh man, I gotta go. Okay, Uh, I want you to give yourself a review. This is just between you and God. You're not gonna turn to your neighbor. You're not gonna turn in a card or anything like that. Let's pretend that we're Google reviewing ourselves today, okay? So on a scale of one to five, one star to five star. One star being I only come every three out of eight services. And five stars being I'm committed, Daily, I'm around people of faith. Daily, I'm engaging in community. One to five stars, where would you fall? Where would you fall? Just be honest, because nobody's going to know. It's just between you and God, so there's no harm. Where would you fall? I wouldn't give myself five stars. I wouldn't, just so you know that. I might give myself four, four and a half, maybe. But the reality is a lot of my time around Christian community is like paid time. It's work time. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I can't judge myself based on what I'm paid to do and you just based on what you volunteer to do. So I got to judge myself the way that you judge yourself. And the reality is I can do better. And I believe that probably most of us could do better. Very few of us would say, yeah, I'm at five stars when it comes to daily fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Jesus. Now, if that's you, if you wanna move it from three stars or two stars or four stars up to five, here are a few things you can do. Number one, for the love of goodness, join a connect group, you guys. Like, we, we have not given up on groups, okay? We've had groups every single semester since we got started. And the reason is because we believe there's value in being in regular community. So like, it, listen, it's probably unreasonable just because of the world that we live in today to think that any of us are gonna be in community every single day like the early church was. But what if we did two or three days a week Like, really, what if we invested in community two days, three days a week? That would go a long way towards helping us to develop this kind of authentic spiritual community that God wants. So join a connect group. Join Lay Cons, God's Promises Today. Come Friday nights on games night. Go join Jody's um, single parents group, if that applies to you. If not, that's weird, don't. Um, Like, find a group that makes sense and join it. It's not too late. Are you with me? I, like... Join a group this week. Go online to our website, connectcalgary.ca slash groups and register for a group and try one out. Hey, uh, we've talked about this before, so I'm not gonna gonna belabor the point too much, but like get really involved in each other's life. Uh, Like follow each other on social media, you know? Like follow each other on social media so you can kind of connect outside of church. Share your phone number in the appropriate kind of context and setting. Pray for one another. Do you pray for your church? No, no, no. Not do you pray for your pastor? Not do you pray for like, the organization. Do you pray for the people in your church? If you did that, that's a way to engage in spiritual community fellowship every single day. And look, if, they're, if you're saying, well, Dan, all those are fine, but like, I don't really, I don't resonate. That's not for me. Okay, if that's not for you, then create some opportunities for some people. You can do that. We give a lot of latitude here at Connect. We want you guys to be the drivers of community. We don't want community flowing from the stage. We want it flowing from the seats so you can create new opportunities. Okay, that's point one. I got three, but I got to do it in like five minutes. So we're going to rush. We also see that in Acts chapter number two, fellowship in the early church was focused on giving, not receiving. Giving, not receiving. Like when I read Acts two, I'm blown away by the generosity of the early church. Like it wasn't only during November, during their crazy faith series that they decided to be generous. And it wasn't just like a begrudging tithe. It's like, oh, well, I guess I have to give because they passed the offering plate in front of me. No, they went all in. They gave sacrificially. And, And listen, the temptation here is gonna be to think about giving only in terms of finances, okay? And look, finance, it says money is a part of the equation, but it's only a part. Fellowship brings generosity into more areas than just finances. It's finances plus. Like our, our spiritual ancestors here in Acts 2, they shared their homes with one another. They shared their meals. They shared their time. They shared their love. They shared their faith. Fellowship is built on people mutually serving and sacrificing for one another. It's got to happen. We've got to make ourselves available. We've got to invest into other people. Again, contrast that with what most people are kind of looking for today. If they're Google reviewing churches and stuff, they they basically talk about what they're looking for in a church. You ever met somebody that's like church shopping? And they're like, here's what I'm looking for. It's gotta have. And they, they list off, you know, Several things. They want this kind of music. They want that kind of theology. It needs to be within a seven minute drive of their house. The kids' ministry needs to be so good that the grandbabies would rather go to church than Callaway Park. It's like we put all of these massive expectations on like, here's what I want to get out of the church. But the early church wasn't asking about what they could receive, they were asking how they could give. Yes. How, how can I contribute? Yes. How can I make a difference in this community? How can I be a part of what's happening? I don't want to sit back and consume. I want to contribute. I want to give. I want to be involved. Can I just let you in on a little bit of secret here? This is like really, really behind the scenes stuff at Connect Church. Everything that happens at this church from Sunday morning to Saturday night, everything that happens at this church is made possible by the generosity of some of the people in this room everything that happens. So like if, we have, if we have funds to pay a single mama's rent so that she's got another month with a roof over her head for her kids, that is made possible because somebody decided to give in our services. If there's coffee here on Sunday mornings, it's because somebody decided to give their time to show up early to brew coffee so that you could have a warm cup of java in your hand. If there's music, it's because the worship team gave up their Thursday night so they could come here and rehearse, so that they could lead you in worship. If there are meals that are served at the drop-in center on Tuesday, it's because a connect group decided that they didn't want church to only happen on Sunday mornings. Everything that happens here is built on the generosity and giving of people just like you. And, And I want to say to those of you guys that give financially or service or in any other way that maybe I'm not even acknowledging at the moment, Thank you, guys. Like, this can't happen without you. It is the community. Acts 2 says they devoted themselves to these things. It is the community making all of this possible. So I want to say thank you, bless you, keep on giving, keep on being generous, keep on sacrificing and serving because you're helping us build this Acts 2 community. There are many of you that are in the room right now, and you've been the recipients of the generosity of the volunteers and the donors that are here at Connect Church, And like, it's awesome to give you a thank you. Like to deto of the Week, we love you. Thank you for being a Dream Teamer. Every single service at the end of our hour together, we acknowledge those of you guys who give, and we say thank you. This is important. It needs to happen. Doesn't always happen in churches, and so we're committed to saying thank you as much as we possibly can. However, can I tell you the best thank you that you could give to the people that are serving and, and donating to our church, the best thank you you could give is to join them in their service. It really is. Like, it's one thing to say thanks to the people that brewed coffee, but it's another thing to say, I'm so grateful you brewed coffee for me. I want to go brew coffee for somebody else. I'm so grateful you gave so that we could have services in this building. I want to give so that other people will get to have services in this building. Fellowship is about what we Give, not what we receive. Now look, it's okay to receive. You should receive. In fact, if anybody's gonna give, somebody's gotta receive. So there needs to be a balance between giving and receiving. When you get spiritually mature, when church becomes everything it's supposed to be, you stop asking about, well, does it feed me? Am I getting what I'm supposed to or what I want out of it? And you start saying, how can I contribute? How can I give? How can I get plugged in? How can I make a difference? And so Kyle already mentioned it to you earlier. We've got backstage next Sunday. Like, if, you, if you've been sitting for a while, look, if this is the first Sunday, a couple months, something like that, cool, sit, you're, you're safe, figure it out. But if you've been around for a while, like, frankly, guys, we need you and you need to get involved. It's good for your soul. It's good for the community. So get involved in backstage. Okay, give yourself an honest score here, one to five. Have I been one star just receiving or have I been five stars giving? Some of you are five stars, bless you. Thank you for that. Okay, finally, uh, the biblical fellowship that we see in Acts chapter number two is united and not divided. United, not divided, okay? Uh, It's united. Time and again in this passage, we're told that this amazing church was all together, how they were one. They were united by their faith. We read throughout the book of Acts that the early church was a united community. Now catch this, they were not uniform. We've talked about this throughout the series. I'm not gonna belabor the point. Like we are all different people. We have different perspectives, different backgrounds, different values, you know, different experiences, all those different things. But even though they were not uniform, they were unified. There was a sense of commitment that opened the front door wide to anybody that wanted to join the community. And it actually closed the back door of the church so that nobody felt like they were left out. But here's the deal, okay? What is it that they were so committed to? They were unified together, but what is it that they were committing themselves to? The the passage is actually really clear. The apostles devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to um, uh, meals and fellowship together with one another. They were committed to Christ and his community and nothing else. This is important, okay? Most people join a church because they like the preaching. Or they like the worship. Or their kids actually enjoy going to the kids ministry. All of those are great. I want to be a good preacher. I want to have good music. I want our kids program to be excellent. All of that is true. But the thing that creates a five-star community is not great preaching. We can create a three-star community on great preaching. It's not great worship. We can create a four-star church on great worship. We can create a -a four-and-a-half-star church with all of those things plus great kids ministry. The only thing that will make a five-star church is a group of people that are committed to the cause, committed to the Christ, committed to his community, committed to what he wants to see done in the world around him. That's the key. That's what he's looking for. So when you think of Connect Church, listen to me, guys. I mean this so sincerely. When you think of Connect Church, I don't want you thinking of Dan Sueza. I don't want you thinking of Amber Sueza. When you think of Connect Church, I don't want you to picture this room. I don't want you to picture your kids and the photos that you see of them having so much fun. When you think of Connect Church, I want you to think about that's the place that I encounter God with other people who want to encounter God. The early church became a five star spiritual community because they were committed to Christ and to his congregation, to his people. One day I'm going to be gone. So you cannot commit to this church because of me. A couple Sundays for now, we're going to have somebody else preaching. I'm telling you that because I believe you're committed to Christ and not the preacher and you're still going to show up and amen and have an amazing time at church. There's going to come a time where we are not in this building anymore. And we're going to ask you to drive a little bit further to get to church. If you're committed to the convenience, then you're going to say no. But if you're committed to the community, you say, oh, I'll drive 15, 20 minutes. Easy to be with my people. That's nothing. Are you with me? The commitment is to him and the commitment is to us. The commitment isn't to this. So the question that I want to ask, we've been asked these questions at the end of every or during every single sermon in this series. Are we, are we, are we? The question is, are we committed? Are we committed? How committed are you really to the people that you're with? How committed are you to loving and serving Jesus alongside of these people? What would it take for me to piss you off and run you off? Because that's happened eight times this series. Eight people have left. And I'm not preaching at them. I'm talking to you. And I'm saying, listen, I'm going to get some things wrong. I'm going to say some things I regret. You're going to have to send me an email and ask me to explain or clarify. I'm going to say things that you flat disagree with. It's going to happen. And if that's enough to push you out in a way, then you were committed to the wrong things. If you're committed to one another, then it doesn't matter who's preaching on Sunday. If you're committed to Christ, it doesn't matter what kind of music we have or whose songs we sing or don't sing. You know what I mean? Because he's the one that deserves our commitment. So are we committed? Yeah, like men, I would say our dream team is committed. Yes, our staff is committed. Our givers are committed. But are we committed to one another? Hmm. God, help us to be. Uh, Father, I just pray that you'd bless your word today. Uh, Bless the preaching of it. Bless the hearing of it. May it take root and bear fruit in the weeks to come. Help us to be committed to you first and foremost. And then God, help us to commit to one another the way the early church did in Acts chapter number two. This will be the key, God, to us fulfilling the great commission. So bless us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen.